0: our uh, series here, this, looking through Proverbs, looking at this idea of wisdom, uh, which we've defined as being skilled in the art of godly living, skilled in the art of godly relationships. And you may notice that uh, we're picking up on a topic that we looked at last week. I spent last week talking about both pride and humility, spent most of the time on pride, some on humility, and some of today will be repeating some of what I said last week. After some conversations with a few different folks, I was encouraged to uh, elaborate more to spend a little bit more time on humility. Not because uh, there was a lack of humility in those conversations, to be clear, Uh, but because uh, it it seemed like it would be helpful in some of those conversations that I had. And I think this is, is fundamental to not only the idea of wisdom, but to the Christian life, this idea of humility. And it is all over the book of Proverbs and all over the scripture. And so we want to look a little bit more at what does humility look like for us. I played football in high school, and my senior year, I had a pretty good year. We were the Owls. That was our mascot, the Owls. And so there was an article in the Commercial Appeal, the Memphis paper, that uh, the title was Hickman Spurs Owls. And uh, it started off with this line, it described me, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said that, uh, it described me as a quiet, humble six-footer. And I was so proud (laughs) of that description, right? Like, I knew that humility was a good thing, and I loved that there was this article about me, and that it described me as humble. Um, So probably, you know... uh, not where you want to go with this idea of humility. I mean, we you know, I, I joke sometimes, you know, of all, you know, of all the virtues, man, I am really good at humility. I'm one of the best when it comes to humility, right? I mean, it, it does make this, uh, this topic sometimes uh, a little bit hard to talk about, to think about. And to be clear, uh, looking at humility over the last couple of weeks has been... Uh, really encouraging and challenging for me. So I do not speak as uh, somebody who's like, all right, this is what you do. I got figure it figured out. Um, and if I did, then you shouldn't listen because I wouldn't have humility figured out, right? Like that's the nature of humility. But what does it look like? How does it play out in our lives? And what does uh, Proverbs tell us about humility? And it was easy to find another passage in Proverbs about humility because it is all over the place. We're going to see two things that, that, that humility, it's all about, I mean, very clearly, I mean, we, we, we understand pretty fundamentally it's about relationships. So the idea that wisdom is being skilled in the art of godly relationship, humility is key to that. And we'll see that it affects our humility before the Lord and then humility before one another. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for your word We thank you that you reveal truth to us that invites us into wisdom, that invites us into flourishing, because you as our creator want us to flourish and live as you created us to live. So we pray that in this time, as as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would work, that you would build humility in us, that we might flourish, that we might experience your wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Humility before the Lord. That's where it starts that we would be living in light of what is true about who God is and who we are. So we've talked about the fact that wisdom is this recognition that there is a creator God, that he made the world, that he knows how it works, that he wants us to flourish in it, and so he's given us direction. He has said there is a spiritual and moral order to the world, not just a physical structure and order to the world, but a spiritual and physical order to the world that this is the truth about the way things work and he's giving us direction, inviting us into honor at the verse end of verse thirty three, to gain intelligence in verse thirty two, to experience what he created us to experience. And and we have to start with the fact that he's the creator. That he's the one that put this order, this spiritual order, in place in the world. That, that wisdom is rooted in that created order. And as a result, we recognize that we are creatures. That we're the creature and not the creator. And it's hard not to completely not talk about pride when we talk about humility. Pride is this sin that is at the root of sin, really. That the fall happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve said, actually, I want to be God. I want to be in control. And that's a struggle that we all continue to have. We want to be in control, but we're called to recognize that we're the creatures and that as creatures that we have limits. And there's something beautiful about being the creatures of God. We were created in his image and and that that gives us incredible value and, and worth. And and so the the truth is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're questioning this whole thing or you think it's crazy, uh, the Bible tells us that every single one of us is created in the image of God and that as image bearers of the creator, that we have value and worth. And that it's important to think about that reality as we think about humility because it doesn't mean that we think poorly of ourselves. It also doesn't mean, and, and this is a fairly, like, New idea, or it's been articulated in a way that's fairly new to me and I think fairly helpful. I mentioned it last week. The fact that our humility is rooted in our limits as creatures. That we're created with limits, that we are the creatures, and that our humility is rooted there and not in our sin. So our humility is rooted in our limits as creatures and not in our sin. And I probably, in the church, growing up in the church and spending a lot of time in the church, have heard more that our humility is rooted in our sin. Like, we're bad, we rebel against God. Those things are true. We have the confession of sin every week because we think that's important in the Christian life, that we would recognize that we have rebelled against God, that we don't live as he created us to live, that we need to turn from that. We also always, every single time, we never have a confession without the assurance of pardon or the proclamation of forgiveness, right? That this is the gospel, that it's true that we're broken, but that we're forgiven. But what I, and, and that is important, and it does play into our humility, but it's not the root of our humility. The root of our humility is the fact that we have limits as creatures. And, and I think we, we often don't think about this truth, our, our creatureliness, and the limits that come there, right? Like uh, our, our belly button is a, Really should be a continual reminder that we were created. Uh, we came from a, a man and a woman, and we had life uh, in a womb, and that we don't exist on our own, just self-made. Right? That's not. Now that we can we can forget about and try to ignore that reality, and we often do. But if we recognize the truth, this is who we are in relationship with others in relationship with the Lord who ultimately created us. And so I think that's actually encouraging because it means that we don't have to move toward a self-deprecation, a view of ourselves that we're bad or worthless. In fact, wisdom, and here in this passage, we're called to grow. We're called to step into, as creatures, with limits, to become more intelligent to, to experience honor. So we see in all of these verses, there's this, this call to grow. That in verse 31, that we can dwell among the wise. And this idea of dwelling among the wise isn't just you know, who your neighbors are or who lives in your house. It's this idea of living a life in wisdom, with wisdom, with others who are doing the same thing. That's what God is calling his people to. The, the Proverbs says, Almost all of scripture is aimed at the people of God, right? And so he's calling us to, to more and more wisdom. He says in verse 32 that uh, if we lift, listen to life-giving reproof, uh, no, sorry, in verse 32, uh, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So we're actually invited to, to grow, to, to have more wisdom, to step into the world in ways of flourishing, to exercise our gifts In verse 33, humility comes before honor. Honor is a a thing that is wise to seek, that we should desire honor. So there's not a picture in scripture of if you're going to be humble, you're going to think about how bad you are. And I mentioned last week that you, you might have heard this idea of humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. That is less often. Not thinking that, again, that you're less valuable or less worthy or that you're worthless, it's that we think of ourselves less that we recognize who God is in the midst of that. Verse 4 of Proverbs 22 says the the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. He wants good things for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to have our gifts exercised. And for us to step into that humility, we have to remember who we are in relationship to the Lord. This idea of the fear of the Lord here directly linked to wisdom, not just as the foundation for wisdom as we talked about when we looked at Proverbs 1, verse 7, that it actually is wisdom itself. In fear of the Lord, we don't need to dive all the way back into that phrase, but it's it's more than just a combination of fear and Lord. And Lord, if you see here, capitalized in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word for the Hebrew word Yahweh, the personal name for God. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I want a personal relationship with you. And that God is the creator God. And fear of the Lord is all respect, living all of life in relationship to who he is in our lives. So that we would humble ourselves and say, yes, we are the creatures and you are the creator but we're doing that recognizing that it's Yahweh, that it's a father, that it's the one who wants relationship with us, who cares about us. I talked about this in all of our particularity. He cares about us as individuals. We we are often too individualistic in this Western hyper-individualistic culture, but God does care about us as individuals and us as a people, and he cares deeply about who we are in all of our particularity, created in his image with our limits but with our gifting and beautiful and good things. And so we live all of life. We live on Sunday mornings in worship service. I mean, this is like an obvious one. We come to worship him. It's a recognition of who he is. Worship, giving him honor and glory, recognizing that we need him. Prayer is this act of humility. But there's a call to, if he's the creator and we're the creatures, we do this in all of life. We think about him as we think about our relationships with our family members, with our neighbors, as we think about the way we do our job or how we spend our money or our time, all of it is in relationship to a creator. The creator who wants relationship with us and who models actual humility for us. This, this also points to the fact that humility can't actually be rooted in our sin because the greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ Christ. Himself, The second person of the Trinity who became wisdom for us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And then we see this classic, beautiful passage about humility in Philippians chapter 2. Humility and its theme runs Old New Testament. It is the story of God working in the lives of his people. Philippians 2 verse starting with verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Uh, that is living life in light of other people. How do, we, how do we do that? Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this is a deep and rich passage that I'm going to explain all of right now. I'm not going to do that. The point here that we want to camp out on is that he entered into this position of humility to the point of death for you and for me. And that he lives out, this, this is a, a pattern for us to follow. To step forward in humility, sacrificially thinking and caring for others. But also this reminder that that's the kind of father, father that we are invited into relationship with. That the one who would, would sacrifice himself for us. And we see that the gospel is when we didn't deserve it when we didn't properly humble ourselves, that that is the God who is inviting us to humble ourselves before him. And it should be so much easier when we recognize that that creator God is this God who loves us in this way. So that worship becomes a beautiful experience of singing these songs, these truthful songs about the gospel uh, to him and with one another, of reading the word and experiencing relationship with him. And that would then play out not only in being humble in our relationship with the Lord, but in relationship with one another. And there are deep implications for the way that we relate to one another. And, and we need this reminder, particularly in this time of polarization, of people fighting one another. And it's happening in families and in churches and in politics and in so many places. And we, as, the, as followers of Jesus desperately need to embrace gospel humility that recognizes the truth of the way things are. That first and foremost, our humility before one another recognizes that we're actually dependent upon one another. This idea of the belly button, right? That we're limited creatures. We are dependent upon other people. And we might try, yes, the umbilical cord has been cut, but we are still dependent upon one another in all areas of life. The, the, the story of the self-made man or woman might be easy to tell because it, 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 you don't have to cover all of the details, right? But it's just not accurate. We, we, we find that we are where we are. We have the experiences we have. We've learned the things that we've learned. We are dependent upon other people. And that's the story of the gospel again and again, even when we try to ignore it. We, we, we know that we need relationship. We know that we need one another. So I'll go back to a fairly old movie. You may have seen Tom Hanks in Castaway. Uh, so he's a FedEx pilot, and he gets stranded on an island for a really long time all by himself. And, uh, and he, he creates a friend, and his friend is Wilson. It is a volleyball. Uh, and he draws a face on it, and then as time goes on, he puts like straw in it, and it, lo- it looks like hair. And, uh, and he talks to Wilson, Right. And you, you can look up on the YouTube's a scene from uh, Castaway where he gets separated from Wilson as he gets on a raft and Wilson starts to float away and he's trying to swim after him and it's Wilson! And uh, if you're familiar with the movie at all, it, I, I, watched, I haven't seen the movie in a long time and I, I watched that clip and it's, it's a, there's, there's still a, a powerfulness to the clip because you know that. There's something, like there's this connection there. And the connection comes maybe a little bit because he's kind of gone crazy. But actually because he's actually trying to avoid going full crazy. Because he knows, and you as the viewer know, we're created for relationship. We need one another. We are not meant to live alone and isolated lives. And, and we are in a time where we're not stranded on islands, but loneliness is an epidemic. We desperately need one another. And so encouragement, if you're not a part of a community group, I know there are a few of you that are waiting on me to help you find one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's my fault. Uh, but if you haven't talked to me yet, uh, uh, I, we, we're going to make that happen this week. But if you, uh, if you haven't talked to me, this is a place to connect, to be in relationship, to, to live in Community, recognizing that we are absolutely 100% dependent upon one another. We need one another. We are not made to live lives alone. And that recognition, buying into that reality, should actually give us a humility before one another. It's not a you need me. It's I need you. And that allows us to step into a relationship with other people in a way that says, I need things from you. And I have things to offer you as well. That's part of stepping into wisdom. We're not just like, humility isn't only knocking ourselves. It's, it's, it's also being able to recognize that we bring gifts for other people too. And that humility is one that recognizes the work of God in our lives. There, there are other ways to think about uh, humility uh, that we might have seen displayed in our culture or we've, read about in philosophy, Aristotle says that humility is a virtue, but the way that he talks about it, it's a virtue to be found between vanity. You don't want to be vain, but also between that and undue humility because Aristotle really talking to the leaders and the educated of his time is saying, we should all be smart and, and we should really exercise these values. We should basically, we should be justifying ourselves so if, if, if Aristotle had, had interacted with Jesus and interacted with Paul, he would have been horrified at the, the selflessness there, at the sacrificial humility that exists in the gospel. He, he's saying, no, we justify ourselves by uh, our smarts and our accomplishments, and, and then we have that just perfect right view of ourselves, but we can only really do that if we have achieved. And that's fairly similar to the way that that we experience the idea of humility now, the way that it's thought about in our culture. Uh, I, when we were in New York and I was doing church ministry and college ministry, I did some teaching at St. John's University. and I taught some speech classes at St. John's. And there's multiple uh, pretty interesting stories from that experience. But one was I invited the students. The first assignment was to give a speech about themselves. So they're introducing themselves so give them something easy. You know yourself. Talk about yourself. And I gave some guidelines. And the one that I remember was be humble. Be humble in the way that you talk about yourselves. And one of the students, who ended up being very average or below, said, what if we're great? (laughs) I, I, I was totally surprised by it, right? But he was being totally serious. What if we're great? What if I don't need to be humble. And, and, and it actually fits, I think the way that we, the place that we see it play out so often is when people are really successful and particularly athletes that, uh, um, you know, they, they talk about how good they are. And, we're, and, and we as a culture have been, been okay with it if they're really that good, right? Um, and, and not recognizing oftentimes the help that they've gotten, not recognizing just the, the natural talent they had, uh, that they were born with. You know, uh, it, it's fascinating to me that that's normal now. But it requires self-justification. It requires accomplishing for yourself. And all of that, whether it's athletics or other things, they, it, it ultimately all falls apart. It doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't last in this world even, much less when death comes, which happens for, for everybody. That's, it's going to happen for everybody. Um, it... All of those things, all of the justification that we've done and our accomplishments and all the reasons that we want to put confidence in ourselves, all of those are put to shame ultimately in death. But we're invited into this story that is a story beyond death, that is a creator who stands outside of time, who created the world, who who promises that there's more to come, and he invites us into uh, humility in a way that recognizes our need of one another, And and we see it playing out here, though the way that we would actually step into humility is that we would hear correction or reproof. Verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. We love reproof, right? Right? We love Craig. We love for people to tell us that we're wrong, that we're missing something. It's it's painful, right? And and, and our natural response is uh, no, no. I, I have probably not, not probably. I've watched too many uh, dash cam videos. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched these again on the YouTube's. That's what they call it, right? Um, these videos that uh, show all kinds of it's it's often interesting or crazy situations. And I'm amazed at how many crazy situations there are on the road. The one thing that has happened in a lot of these videos that's surprising to me is somebody will illegally, rudely, and dangerously pull out in front of somebody else. Like, there's nothing justifiable about what they've done. And the person that they've pulled out in front of honks at them. And their response then, when they have... Nothing to justify what they've done. It's amazing how many times this has happened. They stop the car and they get out and they go back and they yell at the person who honked at them. It's amazing how many times this has happened, and and I think, how crazy is that? And then I think of times where I've been honked at, and realized that I even realized I was in the wrong, and then tried to justify it in my mind and say you didn't have to honk at me when I've often honked at other people as well, like it's, it's this, like you, you go to this place in your mind where even if you know you're wrong, you're like, how dare you call me out when I was wrong? Like that's not your job. And, and, and the driving thing, it actually can end up serious uh, in some of these situations, but it's a, it's a little bit silly, but we do it in really significant ways. We do it in our, our jobs. Or in our relationships with one another, or with our family members, and somebody says, "I, I think you're missing something here. I, I think you didn't do your job well here. I, I think you you were mean to this this person. I think you did something that you shouldn't have done here." And our our response is no. And what Solomon says here, uh, what we find throughout the Word of God is reproof is yeah. He doesn't address the fact that it's painful, but it's actually life-giving. It's life-giving. Verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. If we listen, we gain intelligence. There are studies that show that r- really the only people who know themselves, well, who have self-awareness, are those that invite people into their lives that will tell them what they're missing. It's not just enough to do self-evaluation. We need other people who will see things that we're not. But that's just that's part of our, our limits. And so we're invited into this in a, in a few different ways. Uh, one that we see throughout Proverbs. We see it actually just a few verses earlier in this very chapter, verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. There's a call regularly to, to heed the instruction of elders, of fathers, of mothers, of those that have gone before us. And, and this is culturally becoming less and less valuable. In fact, we, we often have, you know, the OK Boomer thing. It's like, OK, you've reached a certain age. You have nothing to say anymore. And I will say both biblically and experientially, that's foolish. It's, it's absolute foolishness. We learn through experience, we learn through growth. Now I will also say that as we've talked about the fact that proverbs is normative, we do have to recognize that there are fathers that give terrible instruction, that needs to be ignored. There, there are fathers who have, have not loved their kids well. There are those who are older. It does. I'm not saying that age equates wisdom. That, that's not what I'm saying. But we, we are wise. To listen, to give ear to, to evaluate what those say, who are older, who have gone before us. We we see this idea picked up in First Peter chapter five, and it's it's talking about elders in the church, but it has has implications elsewhere as well. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So I think that that's this clear picture of elders and uh, younger folks, members of the church and elders, all, everybody, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then quote from, from Proverbs, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. There's this call to humble ourselves before, before leadership, which again, we, we, we recognize some of the reason that people are pushing back. There's been a, abuse of, of leadership in companies and organizations in the church. We, we have to recognize that that's true. And so wisdom is actually applying this well in all situations. We hope, as church leadership, I, I don't think anything I say as your pastor or the elders say, like, that's gospel truth because of my position. We actually hope to humble ourselves, and we, we hope that our structures actually mean that that we're also subject to members of the church. We are also subject to our presbytery, to those that have authority over us. And there will be times in the church, and I hope not in this one, where there's a need for members to, to complain to, to leaders their, their authority. We, we, we do need humility to have checks and balances for all of us, right? And yet, with that being the case, recognizing that that's true humbling ourselves before one another, experiencing it together as the people of God, that we, we would look to receive instruction and reproof and direction from those who are older than us, but also that we would learn from those who are younger than us. We see this idea of uh, in 1 Peter 5 that we would all clothe ourselves with humility. We, we who are older, uh, and I, I feel like I fall in that category as I now have two in college. I'm finding myself fitting that category more and more, uh, one of the older people. Um, we, we still have some folks who are, uh, glad you guys are here. Uh, I, I, was, I was looking at Joel. I, I, I don't know who I was looking at. Uh, it's a blessing, right? Like we, but this idea, we all need to learn from one another, that, that we need to humble ourselves before new voices who have new experiences and wisdom to speak. So there's this mutual humility that we're invited into, that we are invited to say we need one another. We are gonna have blind spots. And, and sometimes that's easy because of people that we have just natural connection with, a relationship with. The, the harder thing often becomes in humbling ourselves before, uh, before those who we disagree with, and maybe even disagree with over uh, significant things. We're not able to, less and less I feel like, we're able to interact with humility with those who we disagree with. And it's okay to disagree, by the, by the way. Humility is not saying that we're not gonna have disagreements, whether that's in our families, or in churches, or in politics, or in our culture uh, uh, at large. We're gonna have disagreements, but can we move forward with humility? Can we, uh, the, the line that my wife didn't make up, it says with regularity, is be more curious than you are certain. Can we, can we move forward with that kind of posture? Can we we even be humble when we disagree over significant issues and interact with grace? If we are able to do that as the people of God, we're one, living out the gospel, but it's going to move us to flourishing. It's going to move us to be able to to live a life that God would want us to live. I mean, Jesus is this one who, both in Proverbs and elsewhere, there's this recognition of all through life, they are going to be different Positions that we have in culture, different power dynamics, uh, different recognition or respect. And there's a call for humility across all of those relationships. We don't dismiss just because of somebody's position or, or a disagreement we have over something else. There was actually a really interesting article that I saw on the Star website today. One of the columnists who has disagreed immensely uh, with one of the uh, politicians in our state was able to say, yes, I have called him out on many things on this particular issue. He did a really good job, and he, he was right. And, and the reality is our, our culture has led us to a place where that's pretty rare. That's hard when you find somebody who you disagree with on some really significant things to actually affirm them when they're correct, when they're, when they're right. And uh, that should be what we are modeling as humble followers of Jesus. Jesus himself, that ultimate demonstration of humility, that he who was the only person to ever live and have no sin, no brokenness, no mess within him, no reason to actually submit and serve, to wash his disciples' feet, this incredible act of humble service, he stepped in and cared for all of us. He stepped in and humbled himself so that we, who have not humbled ourselves before him, before our creator, that we might have forgiveness for our failure to do so. I mean, this, the very message of the Christian life, of the gospel, is humility itself. That we have done nothing to deserve the love of God. That we have not been wise. That we have not honored the Lord or one another. This is the story of the gospel. And yet, in the midst of that, he humbled himself in order that we might have relationship with us. He loved us with humility so that we might have relationship with him. That is the message of the gospel. We don't bring anything to the table. We are not able to justify ourselves. We rely upon him. There can only be humility in the church. There should only be humility in the church. That's often not the case, right? Too often. In my own heart, I will, uh, it, we all struggle with this. And so the question for each of us is, is, is the gospel playing out? And think about where, where is it hard? Who are the relationships that we have that are hard to be humble in those relationships? Those are the places we need to think about. It, it's appropriate to think about where is it easy to be humble with one another that's good, and rejoice and celebrate that. But who, who is it hard to be humble with? Is there a family member? Is there somebody at work? Is there a classmate? To think about what, what's going on there, what's going on in my heart? How might I affirm them in their creatureliness, in the gifts that they have? That, that, not only do we humble ourselves before one another, this actually allows us to, to rejoice in one another and each other's gifts. No, knowing that we need one another, knowing that we need others in their gifts, we can celebrate them uh, in, the, in the good that God has given them in their own lives. Let's look to Jesus. Let's be excited about the good news of the gospel. The humility that he's offered us so that we can be humble with one another. Let's pray.